Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Pai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. I'm joined by... I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today, guys, it's another monthly millennial movie review. We're going to be reviewing... The Incredibles 2. Or I guess I should say Incredibles 2 because they dropped the the because it's cleaner that way. Um, to quote David Fincher's iconic classic movie, The Social Network. Um, so yeah, we're going to be recording Incredibles 2. Uh, and But before we do that, we have a message from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by traveling. It gets you from point A to point B and you spend a little bit of money. Alright guys, so that was a great ad by our sponsors. Um, why don't we dive into our movie review of uh, Incredibles 2? We're going to break it down by our initial thoughts and then go into our thoughts on the characters, our thoughts on the plot and the theme. There's a lot of themes in these Brad Bird movies. Brad Bird movies, I should say. Mm-hmm. I don't know who Brad Bird is, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Before, no. His evil twin. Yeah. yeah so wh- Before we dive into the review, though, a little information about Incredibles 2. Mm-hmm. It's directed by Brad Bird. It's uh, a sequel to The Incredibles, and it's released, oh, how many years? 14. Four- 14 years. 2004 was the first yeah. Incredibles movie. And it, but it takes place immediately after the events of The Incredibles. Uh, so it follows... Everyone's favorite family of superheroes, this time Helen, is in the spotlight, leaving Bob at home with Violet and Dash to navigate the day-to-day heroics of normal life. It's a tough transition for everyone, made tougher by the fact that the family is still unaware of baby Jack-Jack's emerging superpowers. When a new villain hatches a brilliant and dangerous plot, the family and Frozone must find a way to work together again, which is easier said than done, even when they're all incredible. Hey guys, did you know that Dash's name is also a pun? What? Uh-huh. Yeah, I know, right? Uh-huh. What? He's a dash <laughs> Robert Parr, but he's also Dash because he's fast. I get it's it. So Wait, great. What is his his name? Is his actual his name is Dashel Robert Parr? Yeah, they Dashel. Even, they didn't even try to like make it sound like a normal name. They're no. just like Dash ill. <laughs> Dashiel. I also. I think a, it's dashing. I also have a silly name too. The but, '60s were weird. We're, let's let's not talk about it. <laughs> Willoughby, your name is not from the 60s. Your no, name... it is from the 1860s, though. Yeah. Your Fair. name is incredible, although often it is associated with the villains of uh, Jane Austen books. But True. It happens. It happens. But yeah, Dashiell Robert Parr, also known as Dash. He's fast. <laughs> He's a little, little runner. And Violet? Her her like uh, her, her stuff is Violet. Well, you know, it's also like she's a wallflower. Mm. And uh... Helen... That's a mom's name. Yeah, she's a mom. And Bob, it's a dad's name. <laughs> and Jack-Jack, that's a baby's name. It's all puns. I get it. Yeah. Was- okay, guys, the movie's really good. Let's not beat around the bush here. Yeah. I really liked Incredibles 2. I thought that it had a lot of fun, uh, like, action set pieces, the animation. Okay, so uh, this is also a ta- already a tangent. Incredibles 1 was made in 2004 with a slashed budget, so it doesn't look great. But it looked great then in 2004. Mm. My girlfriend and I rewatched The Incredibles a couple weeks ago. It looks okay in 
these these days of like great animation. Like we've mm-hmm. seen some really great stuff coming from Pixar, mm-hmm. but um, the Incredibles, the first one looks as good as it did in 2004, which means it has not aged well. Mm. Um, there are certain scenes of like Elastigirl like cleaning the dishes in the kitchen, and you can see like outside of the window, and it's such a fake, blurry, out of focus shot to like to like uh, create this depth of field. It just looks so bad. Everything looks like a, a video game cutscene from PlayStation 2. I didn't know they had a slashed budget. Yeah. Do you know or, the reason behind that? Or maybe either a slashed budget or just not a great one. Because uh-huh. it was like a $100 million or less. Mm. Which I'm not sure in terms of Pixar's, like, at the time, in 2004, like, they were making some bank. Yeah. But I don't know, like, what Finding Nemo's was. But, like, The Incredibles, like, at least with Brad Bird, I feel like they always give him, like, the short shrift. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one also, they gave him a less of a year to do it. Um, it was supposed to come out in 2019. Oh, Incredibles wow. 2, Incredibles 2 and Toy Story 4 swap places. Oh, see, this is bad of me as a film reporter. I was not caught up on this. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, oh. yeah. So, Incredibles 2 was supposed to come out in 2019. Mm. Um, and now they're, they're coming out. It came out a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And now we're reviewing it. But... The animation difference between the two of them, this is my point. The animation difference between the two of them, even though they take place literally like seconds after the first one ends, is staggering. Yeah. Like you're, I can't wait to do Agreed. like, I can't wait to do like a Blu-ray review, like for a double feature, because it's just gonna be like going from like Kingdom Hearts 2 to Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> that shit's gonna be like, the, the fact that they couldn't do hair very well mm-hmm. or water, and then you see this movie, and there's, like, so much hair and so much water, and you're like, oh, wow. And the lighting differences, like, the, the cinematography and the lighting and, like, how it hits the characters looks so much better in this movie than it mm-hmm. did in the first one. There was no shadow, sa- shadows in the first one at all. And also, the costumes looked kind of, like, comparatively to the, new, to the, the second one. Like, the animation is just so much more incredible. Yeah, it's, like, a lot brighter, too. Yeah. I noticed that. There's costumes they, pop. Yeah, they redid a couple of the scenes that, like, of the end from Incredibles 1. And, like, I saw someone tweet, like, the difference between Tony in the original oh the Incredibles. Oh, well, they redesigned Yeah, they redesigned they him. Just, like, that looks like a different character completely. Yeah. There's that tweet that's, like, they murdered the first Tony and expected <laughs> no one to notice. Yeah. So, they, uh, so, yeah, Incredibles 2, I really liked. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I think that Brad Bird is doing what Brad Bird does, which is give us great, great filmmaking with a touch of thematic, like interestingness mm-hmm. of that. Um, but it isn't like your usual Pixar heartrending mm-hmm. because that's not what Brad Bird does. Yeah, the, like, the like original, Rata- the original Incredibles was never about that either. No, and Ratatouille had some emotional moments, but it was never really like the gut wrenching, like Bing Bong level yeah. scene from Inside Out. Which honestly is like a little emotionally manipulative, anyways. But like Pixar is known to do that, and so like this is back to like the fun romp of like doing a superhero movies, and I also really find it interesting that Brad Bird's able to do a very successful sequel to Incredibles 1 after 14 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all these other superhero movies. He can do... He looked at all that and said, I'm going to do my version of it. Yeah. Because when he did Incredibles 1, uh, the X-Men movies and the Spider-Man movies were really the only movies out mm-hmm. there. And so he just, he did his take on the Fantastic Four, and now he's doing his take on, like, modern superheroes with, like, superhero legalization and, yeah. like, and like a lot of themes that are relevant in today's day and age of, like, who has rights and who doesn't and how do you get those rights and does breaking the law also mean uh, is is the law good? Some, the law is not always legal. Mm-hmm. Or the law is not always 
morally right, even though it's legal. Yeah, The Incredibles is basically Watchmen for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So, and there are um, some themes, and just there's some interesting themes there about how nostalgia can be poisonous, too. Nostalgia can be poisonous. Toxic fandom mm-hmm. syndrome is toxic fandom, straight up. I don't. I don't care what anybody says about, oh, maybe Syndrome was right. Like, no. <laughs> no. We tried to murder Syndrome people. is bad. And he has bad morals, and he has bad attitudes. He is amoral. He is not good. I do not agree that with people who are like, well, Syndrome had some good points. It's like, fuck off. <laughs> um, and also, especially now with the toxic fandom that we have. Like, back then, to- fandom was toxic, but not as bad as it is now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then... But yeah, I'm going on a tangent, so I'll let you guys start. We'll yeah, dive yeah. into we'll all this about, later. We'll talk about yeah. syndrome when we get to characters and yeah. new characters and all that fun mm-hmm. stuff. Um, HD, what do you think of it? I really liked Incredibles too. So I'm going to come out and say that I I liked the first Incredibles. I thought I always thought it was a fine film, but I never understood the sort of the hype around mm-hmm. it. A lot of people named the first Incredibles as like their favorite Pixar film. I always thought it was just fine. It was like a fun romp, like you said. And I enjoyed it as like a fun like family film and a superhero film. I felt like The Incredibles 2 like almost improved upon that. I'm going to say something sacrilegious. I liked The Incredibles 2 more than I liked The Incredibles. To be honest, can I also say that The Incredibles did not hit me as much as it hit everybody else the yeah. first time around? Like mm-hmm. I watched, I don't even think I watched it in theaters. Mm-hmm. I think I saw it on, I bought the DVD and then I watched it. I was like, oh, this is fun. Yeah, it's fun. I wonder if a lot of people like the first Incredibles so much because it gave us the Fantastic Four movie we never got and like a lot of people who are so invested in the first Incredibles like it because are like the geeks who like really want that Fantastic Four movie we deserve and um, I was just like enjoyed it and I thought it was fine I didn't watch it as many times as like Finding Nemo for example yeah I definitely watched Finding Nemo and like Bugs Life and Toy Stories mm -hmm. over Incredibles I liked Incredibles 2 a A lot Bugs Life I liked Bugs Life Bugs Life is good it's Seven Samurai but with Bugs Bugs Life is great well, like, at the what time. What's wrong with at you? At the time, yeah. People have their preferences, Anya. Anya, I was 12. You don't... I don't agree with what I did, but I did. Bugs Life is not a bad movie. Bugs Life is okay. It's fine. Yeah, I mean... Although I, I will say, I actually watched Ants more than I watched A Bug's Life. Ants. <laughs> That's the real traitorous move. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm saying no, some real okay, well, like, I think at the time... I think... Okay. I rewatched. A Bug's Life a lot on VHS because I had it. And I think in the amount of time, in my lifespan, I probably have seen A Bug's Life more times than I've seen Incredibles. But I haven't seen A Bug's Life since 1999, if that makes yeah, any sense. Yeah, because no one wants to rewatch it because it's. It's a not, good it's movie. It's a good movie, Anya. What are you talking about? There we go. I mean, All right. Kevin Spacey aside, the movie is still good. <laughs> okay. It's Seven Samurai. It's Seven it's Samurai it's with bugs. Seven. It's a Western. Okay, guys. He's, <laughs> he's a little German boy. He's got. A, he becomes. He gets wings. A little caterpillar man. It's funny. He's a little the ladybug is a dude. <laughs> Alright, all right. I'm going to get to my rest of my okay. uh, incredible two uh, thoughts. Okay, but Cars 2 is still not as good as Cars 1 or Bugs Life. I mean, Cars 2 is objectively the worst Pixar movie. Yeah. Cars 3, though, I will say, it's surprisingly good. I sure. watched it on a plane and I was like, this is a good, fine movie. Although I will say, I hadn't seen the first Cars <laughs> at that point. Actually, I still Fair. haven't seen it. You don't really need to. Yeah. Cars 3 is good, though. 
It's about legacy. Is it the Logan of Cars? I mean, franchise? it kind of is. Yeah, it kind <laughs> of is at first too. So I remember seeing from the trailer. Only. I was like, "Oh, Lightning McQueen McDies." It, it's really about like his legacy and what he needs to do as like a mentor and like passing it on to the next generation. Oh, is it John Lasseter like doing no, his own thing? I don't think or was so. It... it was before John Lasseter left. But was it his movie? Did he direct it? Good question. Is he doing car street? We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out later. Anyways, first, my I incredible need to, two I thoughts. Need to ask one. Can you say he McDies? Lightning McQueen McDies. Willoughby, your wit astounds me on a daily basis. I can't take credit for that joke. I it goes all to my oh. girlfriend. Well, shout out to Melissa. Okay. The Never mind, McQueen. I take it back. I still got some right, good HG. some good wits. My incredible Continue two thoughts. With your thoughts because this episode is already all over the place <laughs> oh yeah anyways um i li- i liked incredibles 2 more than the, the incredibles because i felt like it was a more real and more involved movie like the incredibles always felt like a fun like comic book uh panel that comes to life kind of film like these were the realization of the of the comic books we all grew up with and loved whereas incredibles 2 felt like they became real people it looked more cinematic than incredibles 1 it had much more it had some of the themes were a little messy but it, the themes were much more involved and interesting to me so I, I liked it a lot and like, even though the villain i will say is a little predictable i quite like that character a lot just because she's a character i've never seen uh in a pixar movie before uh, and um, yeah, Incredibles 2 it really surprised me and I, I liked it a lot and I should revisit The Incredibles though So, but for now I will say Incredibles 2 is a worthy sequel and maybe even better than Incredibles 1 alright, Anya, what are your thoughts on Incredibles 2? <clears throat> as a Fantastic Four fan and a Brad Bird stan the Incredibles from 2004 is perfect and one of the best Pixar movies in their entire canon. Ahem, you two. I'm not saying A Bug's Life is I better mean, than I mean, I said Incredibles is a good movie still. I'm just saying I watched A Bug's Life more than I did Incredibles. Yeah. You're saying you don't get why people love it so much. I can't believe I'm sitting here listening to <laughs> I get- like it i personally thought it was a, a, a good movie i thought it was a good movie too i think it's a, a really really well made well composed movie but one that i didn't emotionally connect to as much as other pixar films yeah which is fine because i think that i understand why other people do i mean if and you think a, about it it is kind of out of their oeuvre it is a little out of their oeuvre it's it was their apart. first ever movie with human characters yeah uh-huh. besides the two characters in finding Nemo. yeah like only human characters yeah. i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so don't listen to these two sacrilegious Pixar fans. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I love The Incredibles. Um, I think I agree with everything HT is saying, um, except for the part that it might be better because I think they're pretty much on par <laughs> for me. That wasn't really much of a stretch for you. Stretch. Willoughby. Um. I I completely agree with HT. I think what the second one does is that it just elevates the first one. I think the first one is pretty much perfect. Um, and the second one with technology and 
uh, some themes, like you said, I think they're messier in the second one than they are in the first one. Um, but I think it just elevates the Parr family as individuals and with their interpersonal relationships. Um, and so I think it really just takes like your kind of like basic Fantastic Four origin story and just brings it to the next chapter, the next level. Um, I think that Incredibles 2 is weaker than The Incredibles in some ways, which we will get to, namely the villain. I agree with you, HT. We'll talk about her. I have issues with her. Um, and, but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was funnier than the first one. And like Willoughby said, it looked better than the first one. Um, but that's just all to me, just like a sign of the times right, sort of thing. Yeah. No, I won't say, I'm um, not saying that like Incredibles 1 was made like shittily. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. But you're right. Cause like it doesn't date as well, uh, technology wise. Like, and even Ratatouille, just... like, I, I watched Ratatouille for the first time last month, and some of the character design, and some of the animation, it, like, was probably great in 2008, does not look great now. Mm. Yeah, it's, that's the problem with, like, technology, especially when it's, like, burgeoning, like, I mean, the Star Wars prequels, like, Right, of course. Oh, Attack of the Clones has aged on so many levels poorly. Yeah, but, like, at the time, it was, like, new technology, oh my god, what we what we can do with it? And now we're like, oh, God. Shouldn't um, have been so um, generous with the sandbox. Yeah. It's a big blank check. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I I agree with my co-host to an extent. I think they have said some very... <laughs> I, you know, legal drama? <laughs> I will say, I do think The Incredibles is a perfectly structured film. The first one. Yes. I think that... I think, you know... It's kind of like how I approach Spotlight in that I recognize its technical mastery and how it's such a great film on a like on a craft level. Are you going to have a butt well, about I'm, Spotlight? Are you going to say no, but I'm, yet? I'm going to say, <laughs> but I didn't have that emotional connection to The Incredibles. I'm not saying about Spotlight. I'm saying about The Incredibles. Oh, gotcha. Incredibles. Okay. Let's, let's be clear. Okay. All Pixar movies except for, like I would say, Cars 2, Cars 1. The Good Dinosaur and Cars, I don't know, maybe Cars 3 is good. But, like, top tier like. top tier and mid-tier Pixar are still greater than, like, any other movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, like, I... like the, Pic- the Incredibles is top tier uh, Pixar. It didn't, it never hit me as much as it hit other people, but I understand why it hit people the way it did. I wonder if it's a result of us watching it so young, too, because we look for that emotional connection more as a kid than we do look, look for, like, plot I mean, I was 12. I think I missed it. That's yeah. the thing. Is I saw it on DVD after after it all came out. Yeah. And yeah. I, in, when I was in 2004, what was I doing? I was in 6th, 7th grade. I was starting to be, like, kind of move away from, like, kid stuff. Yeah, we're like, cartoons aren't cool anymore. Right. Like, I was kind of, like, in that period, even though I still love Dragon Ball Z to my mm-hmm. dying day. Um, <laughs> and, like, Pokemon, like, all that stuff. But there was a point where, like, you kind of, as like, like, I, like what I did was kind of, like, move away from, like, the kitty stuff and started, like, focusing more on, like, what I wanted to watch. And so, like, I caught, like, that's why I'm, I said I hadn't watched Ratatouille until now because I just missed it. Like, there are certain things Fair. I just missed as kids. As a kid, like, a lot of the older Disney, the, like, like Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, like, that generation of, like, Disney Channel stuff, I completely missed because I just stopped watching it. Mm. Like, I, w- I watched a lot of cartoons from 1992 when I was born to, like, 2003, 2004. Then I, then I got into middle school and high school, and I started focusing more on, like, more adult stuff and, like, more grown-up media. And then, like, and then I, like, went back 
and watched like all the stuff I missed mm. and and like yeah. that that like transitional period between like elementary and high school mm. um, also known as middle school <laughs> yeah I, I will say I am just pulling my co-host legs for the sake of being dramatic oh of course they have not actually said anything wrong it's just it's funny how you guys bring up specific points like being a Fantastic Four fan or like all these things that like are very specific to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, as a big Brad Bird fan, um, someone who thinks like the Iron Giant is a perfect movie, someone who thinks Tomorrowland had all the possibility in the world before it yeah. was ruined. But that's the by thing about Tomorrowland. Sometimes the future isn't as great as what we think it's going to be. <sighs> There's a certain screenwriter whose fault that is. <laughs> hey, um, hey, there were three screenwriters. There was. What's his face from EW? There was uh, Damon Lindelof, Jeff Jensen, Jeff right? Jensen, mm-hmm. and Brad Bird. The three of them worked together. It wasn't all Lindelof's fault. Granted, he was dragged pretty thin because he was also working on the first season of The Leftovers at the same time. However, this I- is not a Tomorrowland podcast. <laughs> this is a Brad Bird is perfect podcast. And shush. Okay. Speaking of, do we want to talk about our relationships with Brad Bird? Do we all like him? I like him, although I actually have not seen The Iron Giants. Okay, stop the podcast. <laughs> um, it's on Netflix. I know. You're going to go watch it. We're going to come back H-T. and we're going to finish the podcast this after the- you've seen The Iron Giant, a perfect movie. Iron Giant is H-T. one of the movies I missed the boat on. I know. It's one of the movies where I just like missed the boat on and I never like got around to watching it. I don't know why. It's on Netflix. I'm actually kind of... I'm actually kind of glad because it feels more relevant than ever right mm-hmm. now. And I like, I want you to see it as an adult, as someone who like thinks critically and is like involved in the world. Like I'm actually really excited for you to watch it like, for the first time with this mindset. Mm-hmm. So please go watch it and tell me all your thoughts. Cause I'm so excited. Yeah, for it's, you on Netflix. Now. it's readily available. I didn't know it was on Netflix. So that's why I'm going to watch it now, guys. I promise you. And I'm very You're gonna sorry. Love it. I'm very sorry. I didn't watch it until now. But you've seen all the other Brad Bird movies? Yes, I've seen all the other Brad Bird movies. I've even even seen Tomorrowland and was vastly disappointed by it. I watched Tomorrowland because the Blank Check podcast was doing their miniseries on Brad Bird, so I watched Ratatouille and Tomorrowland for the first time. And I can say definitively that Tomorrowland blows. We should say, first off, that Ratatouille is not an original Brad Bird film. He took over the film. He took it over, but I think he did do, do some rewrites on it. Yes, but we should mention that it's not like his film from inception right mm-hmm. um, um and we should also say that tomorrowland had a lot of really good ideas and i think the ideas are what made it so possible or what what makes it so disappointing is because the ideas are there and they're very much brad bird ideas i feel mm-hmm. like i'm probably the biggest brad bird fan here i think yeah. you are yeah um and it's because of his approach to the world. You're also a huge Disney fan, so like Tomorrowland and Brad Bird are, is like a perfect combination for you. And just like the ideal of Epcot, it did not come together. So, what are like the that? ideas that you like from Brad Bird? I'm feeling like, very, I'm feeling personally attacked oh, right no. now. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just pointing out the difference, the similarities. No, no, no. no, no I'm saying like I'm saying you're right. And like Epcot that has a city center of intelligent people. <laughs> no, no. I'm saying you're right. That that movie Tomorrowland like personally attacked me. Oh, like that's what I'm saying is like. Brad Bird just, like, personally attacks me on, like, a thematic right. idealism level because, like, the fact that he's such an idealistic person mm-hmm. and it, he brings it to all his movies is what I love so much about him. Yeah, he always and, has a lot of themes in his movies. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I just think he's wonderful and perfect. And well, I wanted to ask you, Anya, what do you think of the whole objectivist sort of uh, 
hot takes around bad. Oh, yeah, do you movies. think that he subscribes to the Anne Rand uh, Anne Rand uh, newsletter? I don't care. I don't think he does. I, think, I don't think he does. I think he always. I don't think he does either. And I, think I think he has characters people... that are objectivist, but I don't think he is objectivist. I think he try, okay. he tries to subvert it like he does with Incredibles and Ratatouille, and even Tomorrowland. Yeah. And Tomorrowland. Agreed. I think. Yeah, I think he's actually working against that. Yeah. In a way, he's... and I think people who write those thing pieces are fishing for. I think they're reaching mm-hmm. for like, like controversial all ideas his about Brad characters, Bird. including Mission Impossible Four, have extraordinary characters in extraordinary circumstances who can do extraordinary things, um, and the, the and also there are like regular people next to them, mm-hmm. and you could see and you could see that a lot of his movies, yeah, they have those characters, but what he's saying is that these characters are here for the benefit and support of the of the little guy versus objectivism which is about uh the exceptional people like basically leaving for a new society which is the bad guys in Tomorrowland. yeah exactly exactly and that's why i think and that's the whole point about like the incredibles and the incredibles 2 of like superheroes becoming illegal is that <clears throat> the parr family is doing this because they want to help society mm-hmm. like bob to an extent there's an ego. does yeah. have an ego it's actually involved. a really interesting sort of subplot with Bob in Incredibles 2 that is like verges really close to whatever objectivist sort of principles there are because right. he does a lot of it out of his own ego and out but of his it, own need to like be a hero. But it's also him being the 1960s dad who yeah. thinks he has to be the breadwinner. Yeah. yeah, and like when he has a disagreement with Helen in Incredibles 2, like we are not supposed to take his side. Like right. Brad Bird makes it very clear that we are on Helen's side. Right. He's the this. Archie Bunker of uh, there's a Incredibles. Moment, there's a part yeah. where, where uh, he almost he almost completes the sentence she's a credit to her gender. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't say gender. He just says he's like he's like trying to rationalize why he should be the hero who's out who's out doing like the PR stunt mm-hmm. and, he, and, he, and he's like well she's great she's a credit to her and then like she gives him a look that just kills him straight out mm-hmm. and I'm like that's Brad Bird like knocking down like the 60s like misogyny yeah and and like it like inherent sexism of the 60s power struggle yeah that's what i do like about incredibles 2 is that even though some of the themes uh don't completely get uh go like follow through or anything like that i think it's a lot more mature in its handling of like different aspects of like family life as well as like these sort of grander themes of like helping humanity and that kind of thing right because like all his life Mr. Incredible has always been a hero. He's never really mm-hmm. been a dad, even mm-hmm. though he's been a dad since Violet was born. But he's never really, like, f- he's been f- too focused on wanting to go back to the glory days. Yeah. And so this is the first time he's really ha- having to, like, reckon with that. Yeah. And I like that a lot. It felt like, like I said, it made him more human. And it felt like he was struggling with all these things that he wasn't able to really th- per- perceive before just because his mind was always set on being a hero and not set on being a, a- Person and he has a great monologue where he's like he want he is he's like he's saying I am Mister Incredible but I can't be incredible I can't be an incredible dad I'm trying my best mm-hmm. and like he basically had, like breaks down in front of his kids I was yeah. like oh wow it's a really it got, great arc for him yeah that well, was intense let's um use that to dive into all the characters yeah. of uh, Incredibles too so Anya what what else would you have to say about uh, Mister Incredible I I just I just really appreciated him in this movie I thought one of the really interesting i love seeing helen front and center um but in a way i found mr incredible the more 
interesting character in this film, I guess, just because of the position he was put in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could agree with that. Um, I suppose, and I, but I found their discussions like as a couple, as a partnership, as parents, really interesting. Especially the idea of like giving their kids choices, mm-hmm. and like the idea that Mister that Bob. You can tell it's all about him. It's about him wanting to become a superhero, but he tries to use the kids as, like, that little right. he's, like, he's like, we're trying to do this for them. But it's not really for but, them. But it's she's not like, really. She's like, no, you're trying to do this for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, his arc throughout the movie is realizing that, like, being a superhero is great, but, like, being a heroic dad has its own merits, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, recognizing what the choices of his kids are is actually like genuinely important and like the growing pains he goes through with Violet specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually found it really interesting the idea of like choosing to be a superhero and that discussion throughout the movie was probably my favorite like theme of the movie. And what it means to be a superhero to different people because in terms of like Violet, like when they had, there's a really great conversation where he kind of basically just like, I'm trying to be a good dad. And she's like, you are a good dad. You're super like, and the point, like she's seeing all the work that he's putting into being mm-hmm. a better dad than he was before. Like he's trying to solve new, new math and he's trying to do like the best he can to get Tony to like recognize Violet mm-hmm. and in like trying to like actually be a parent to Jack Jack and so, like, she's see- she's seeing all the hard work that he's putting into and validates him. And I think that that's yeah. very important. Exactly. And I think, like, we're going to sort of diving into themes here a little bit. But, like, for me, Bob really represents all of them in the film. Um, and the idea as well, when he and Helen are having that discussion in the motel about how, like, their kids were born with powers. Like, they didn't choose to have powers. And, you know, like, some superheroes, like Batman don't have powers they like choose to use their wealth in certain ways and use their intelligence in certain ways versus someone like superman or wonder woman and so it's like if you are born with powers is it irresponsible of you not to use them to like better society right and so i think that's really interesting and like bob comes down on the side of like oh the kids don't have they didn't have a choice so like they should be able to be themselves but helen is saying like well, they do have a choice, but it's like they and also have very superheroes, interesting. Superheroes points. weren't legal; they were legal when they were when Bob and Helen were growing up, and mm-hmm. now they're not legal when the kids are growing up. The the kids were born in a in a post superhero legal way, lay it like yeah. So it's really interesting that like yeah, they have powers, but they can't use them legally. See, this is what I love about these movies. Is I feel like there's the lots more you talk about them. Yeah. yeah, I feel like when you watch them, you're like, "Oh, this is so fun and funny" because it's, it's a really funny movie. Like, I was laughing so oh, much. The mm-hmm. Jack Jack Raccoon scene is amazing. <laughs> that was great. I find, I actually find Dash to be probably the funniest for me. I love Dash. Oh, that's because I, that's because everybody knows Dash. Dash is such a cliche of a fourth grader. It's amazing. I like <laughs> Dash is hilarious to me. But like, as we're talking now, you realize like how much there is to unpack in this film. Mm-hmm. 
Like, so, you really can't talk about characters without talking about themes because a lot of characters represent the themes. They're so tied exactly. to that. Yeah. Actually, one thing I found really interesting with, like, Elastigirl and her sort of storyline was uh, her revamp as a more dark and gritty superhero oh, with yeah. her darker yeah, costume. Yeah, they point that out specifically. Yeah. yeah, and she's like, I'm not dark and gritty. I'm Elastigirl. I'm happy. I'm, like, just trying to help people. And, like, it's a way of a PR rebrand and everything. And it's kind of like a, a jab at a lot of the current superhero trends and trying to make things darker and grittier to appeal to a larger audience. Because um, Incredibles 2 comes after Dark Knight and mm-hmm. all those movies. Exactly. So I always found that really interesting, too. But that's, like, not, not the only thing that's going on in Elastigirl's story, either. So it's, like, yeah. it's interesting how, like, so many themes can get packed into these character storylines. I think that's what Brad Bird is really great at, is, mm-hmm. uh, is taking the theme and they and sometimes yeah the themes are very explicit mm-hmm. but i think that he ties them to the characters and their code of ethics like mm-hmm. like what um are we doing spoilers yes we're in the spoiler we territory right now. okay mm-hmm. so uh what's what's oh uh what's the not screen slaver what's her real name uh the main villains uh last name is dever is it it was like i cannot remember the sister's name it's like e something right evelyn so, evelyn evelyn dever uh, so, like, her, Evelyn and Helen have, like, a very interesting conversation at the end of the movie where they're like, yeah, we would have been friends except for the difference in our code of ethics. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's the difference between a superhero and a supervillain. Is like, mm-hmm. some, a lot of these characters have similar th- personalities, but they just do, they just do what they, like, Bob is a very egotistical man. Mm-hmm. He could easily be a supervillain, but he's not because he wants to do good. Whereas, uh... Evelyn wants to do... She wants to get rid of superheroes. And so to do that, she does, like... She hypnotizes them. Mm-hmm. And has them be the uh, objectivist villains that everyone thinks Brad Bird right. uh, yeah. considers his heroes to be. Like, the fact that they're, like... In, in their, like, uh, hypnotized speech, Frozone's like, for too long we've been uh, under the thumb of the government. Now we are in charge. Mm-hmm. Or something. It's like, oh, that's explicitly Brad Bird pointing out the... The, the fact that he is not an objectivist mm-hmm. <laughs> or and like agreed like it's like it's the it's he's like pointing out like that's not what my heroes are doing my superheroes want to do good for the good of humanity yeah and i think that's what elastic girl wants to do with this pr move mm-hmm. definitely she has to break the law to, to change it exactly mm-hmm. because like we're having in our own life just because it's the law doesn't mean it's right Exactly. Good. Exactly. Families belong together. Families belong together. Like the pars. Well, actually, that brings up an interesting thing that I wanted to ask you guys about. So I heard, I know one of the criticisms for Incredibles 2 is that the pars don't spend a lot of time together in this movie. They spend a lot of time separated, especially Helen from the rest of the family, and they don't have a lot of screen time where they're just like working together as a family unit in a Fantastic Four kind of way to defeat the villain, for example. It just like becomes sort of interweaving plot threads where sometimes the others are doing super heroics, sometimes the the kids are doing it, and they finally come together for like a little like two-minute scene at the end. Do you think that detracted from the movie for you in any way? Did, would would you wish to see them together, or do you think that was necessary for the movie? I liked that it was still like Incredibles 1, where we got them mostly separated for the for the majority of the movie, and then at the end was the big like climactic get-together mm-hmm. scene. Because I feel like I know a lot of people were disappointed that 
the underminer battle was like so quick and over and mm. then they were not a superhero family fighting crime anymore like superheroes were still illegal so like i feel like people forgot that part um when like when like when the expectations for this movie came out like they still have to go back into under hiding mm-hmm. so i was not expecting them to be like all five or four of them, if you include Jack-Jack, like, running around saving the, the day. I liked the idea that, because they're still kids, mm-hmm. Violet and Dash still have to go to school, and Jack-Jack is still a baby, and they still have to do parenting. And But I do like the fact that it's the opposite of what we saw in Incredibles 1, where now Bob is the is the stay-at-home dad mm-hmm. and has to, like... Mr. Mom his way. Mr. Mom his way uh, of, uh, of being a good dad. And Anya's, like, looking at us, like... I trying to say something, I think but she has I something keep, to say. I just keep talking, but I don't stop talking. <laughs> so now I think it's time for Anya to say something. I just yes, Willoughby. Oh, cool. You agree with me? Good. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh no, I'm going to stall this because I think she's going to say something not good. No, she's going to yell yes, at us. Willoughby. I think the criticisms are unfounded um, because I think we've seen Helen in that position before, so her being separated and her internal struggle of wanting to be with the family is very real. But and I think that people forget like you said willoughby that violet and dash are kids they are in school one of the most like telling scenes to me um and one of my favorite scenes with mr incredible is when like bob can't sleep like one of the first nights he's watching them and Mm -hmm. he wakes up to figure out dash's math himself oh it's so great because he realizes it's it's important and that like his son's education is important and like being there for his son in this like dad way instead of just like a superhero way is important. And so I actually think that those criticisms are unfounded because we do see them working as a family unit, just not as like a superhero family, which is fine because they're kids and they're parents. I definitely think the scene of Bob like opening the book like late at night cause he can't sleep is really something that like, you never really think about when you're a kid. Like, like, how do your parents know all the right answers? It's because they work really hard to find yeah, the right yeah. answers. And it's, some of those, are, it, some of that's homework. It's one of the most touching scenes of the movie, really. And I think that this movie excels in the more intimate moments. And that's where I it really, like, elevates from the first Incredibles, which was, like, a fun romp at, some, at most parts. But this one has, like, a lot of real moments where you feel like this is, like, peeking into it just like a regular family life more than just like the superhero super heroics of all of it like i don't watch this these movies the incredible movies to see like the action set pieces or anything that i can see that in an avengers movie here i watch it to see kind of like i don't know the this almost a smaller scale of all of it i just liked um all the family stuff at the diner like Bob and Dash just kind of trolling Violet the entire time. That was fun. Or Dash trolling Violet the entire time because mm-hmm. Bob was trying to actually do his. He he was think he was uh, he was thinking he was like the best dad ever. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna solve this problem that right a, now. That was a great. And moment. Dash is just like, this place is great. <laughs> exactly, and like Violet's problems are very real, like liking boys and stuff, and like the idea of like having superheroes and being a superhero or having superpowers and being a superhero and the way that like converges on your regular life and like how to balance those things whereas like like you were saying HT like Helen and Bob grew up in a time or I think Willoughby one of you guys was saying they grew up in a time where superheroes were legal and so like balancing them just sort of came naturally but now the kids have to balance it in a different way and like I think what this movie makes a good argument for is that like being a superhero and having superpowers is just as important as, like, your education and having a crush. Like, the two things are not, like, 
it's not that like oh yeah like a real life is like whatever like just be a superhero right like bob you get to see bob's main plot of the his whole arc is him becoming a better dad yeah and exactly meanwhile uh, astrogirl ha- is having all the action set pieces and and all she and does having the superhero yeah plot. but all she does is like miss her family which makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like, and I also think- her coming to the realization like she also learns things even though like we're on her side most of the arguments and mm-hmm. everything like she comes to the realization that like her kids can choose to be superheroes if they want to and she can trust them and they are allowed to you know, like, grow up like this and make decisions for themselves. Like, it, it's, you know, the parent, the parental thing of wanting to protect them and Helen realizing that she won't always be able to and they do have to make their own choices. And and the kids get to save the parents in the end of the day. Yeah, but you get, like, exactly. a little spy spy kids sort of subplot, which I really enjoy. My girlfriend enjoyed. called, um, she she told me that she was, she was like, that's spy kids. I yeah. was like, ah! As soon as I saw them, like, like going through like their parents' stuff and being like, we have to save them and using the Incredimobile. I was like, this is Spy Kids. The Incredimobile is so good. <laughs> it was great. It was like it was such a fun little like third act thing. But um, I do want to ask you guys, uh, what? Uh, so let's get to the the problem and the good parts of the villain, okay. Screen Slaver, also so, known as Evelyn, Evelyn Decker. Decker. Dever. Dever. Because it looks like Endeavor. Right. Oh. Oh. Because they're they're, um, opportunistic business people. Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener. Man, she was given, like, a great un-Pixar-like performance. Like, she was so... She was so good. She was so good. I was just like, as soon as, like, she stepped out and was, like, all klutzy and stuff, but, like, really cool and had that just kind of ennui about her i was like dang she seems like a character a really a real character she seemed very out of place in like the sort of incredibles world actually because then you get bob odenkirk who looks like an incredibles character (laughs) talks like an incredibles character and then is is just like ah nostalgia it's gonna be marketed oh i just came up with a great point they just marketed nostalgia that's what they were trying to do with getting superheroes legalized yep and that's what superhero franchises are Yep. Yep. It's all it's all full circle. But I thought Bob Odenkirk was great because he always has like a bit of a like like a sleaziness. He, I thought he was yeah, sleaziness like a, like an evil side. Like I thought maybe he was also going to be in on the Yeah. Like I thought it was going to be like a brother sister evil duo. Yeah. For a while they were sort of introducing him as like the red herring of, yeah, as the, of the villain. Yes. But then it became Well, and very the trailers clear. did that too because yeah. Evelyn is nowhere in the trailer. So like right. watching the trailers, I had assumed Bob Odenkirk was going to be the villain. Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to be like, I'm here to help you guys, and then, like, betray them. Right. And the second Evelyn came in, that first scene where she's introduced, I was like, she's the villain. Ah. I know. As soon as she came in, I was like, oh, I bet she's the but villain. But I, I do like that they were not in on it together, because mm-hmm. I think that it was a kind of subversion of, like, oh, the new people that we haven't seen before are, like, both evil. Mm-hmm. I like that it was kind of, like, oh, he's just hapless. He's just, he's literally just doing his job to be like, I like superheroes. I want them to come back. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah, like, he believes in them. Right. Yeah. And like, and, and he's like doing his, he's like doing his best to use his telecommunications company, very 60s, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, to do it. Yeah. And meanwhile, she's do, using the telecommunication companies for evil. Yeah. Also very 60s. Yes. Or Willoughby, do you mean? The, the telephone company. The phone company. The phone company. Oh. Oh. 
That is a president's analyst reference for anybody. We will never see that movie. Very inside joke for all of us, which we keep referencing. It's a five-year-old joke. Everyone watch the president's analyst. That movie is a gem. It is the best movie in the world. That movie bonded us forever. It really did. As a unit, we will never be apart because of that movie. Thank you, president's analyst. We love you, and thank you, and good night. But Willoughby, what you're talking about here is like is also my issue with uh, Evelyn as villain. Okay. Because Evelyn occupies two motivations. And I think this movie needed to drop one of her motivations. Explain. So, the strong motivation. Revenge, anger at superheroes for her parents' deaths, and the way her brother idolizes them, and how she sees them as, as making people weaker... I think is a very strong motivation. It's very personal. It's, you know, full of revenge. And so I think that was a really strong argument and strong, like thematic moral and motive for a villain. Screenslaver doesn't work as a good villain. Screenslaver doesn't work because one, it takes away from her other motivation, like splitting the two doesn't make sense when you could have just made the first one even stronger. Mm. Screenslaver is a villain that works in today doesn't really work in the 60s i get that people were watching tv yeah but like her whole argument of like everyone's not living in the real world now because they're watching their screens i was like all right that's you know for 2018 um i always saw screen slaver as more of a facade for her though it was but she had that whole i just i feel like like you think the two motivations for her screen slaver persona and what she wants are not reconciled I, yeah, I don't think they're reconciled, and I think you could have easily given her a different facade without sort of this whole screen thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, to me, it, it was just weak, and it didn't really, like, Like, if she could just hip- like, hypnotize yeah. people yeah. herself, like, that was her power. Screensaver or- would have made more sense if it was Bob Odenkirk as the villain. True. Because he yes. was the one who was weaponizing the nostalgia. He was the one who, like, saw the prophet and superheroes. And, but um, she saw that as well and yeah. then used it against her. Yeah, yeah. but her I motivation was she, different. Yeah, I just think she had really good motivation. Mm-hmm. And if they had like just focused on that mm-hmm. instead of the distraction with screen slaver, I think it would have landed even stronger. Now, do you know how you would fix that? Like, how would you get rid of screen slaver and then also have like a similar plot? Would it just be a different movie? You know what I would do? Like, would if, you still have for, the hypnotism? For like her motivation, I would probably have her be like, play a hero or like it would basically be a hero a villain um masquerading as a hero because her so whole thing like syndrome basically like syndrome but like in the way that they were trying to she, she was trying to uh build up the heroes to be this new force until they like uh take revenge against the humans Got essentially it. so like what her thing would be was like maybe like create a, a hero that would rival elastigirl maybe even like build up elastigirl to be this one like maybe just like focus her efforts on elastigirl instead of making screen slaver like a, a one big um, yeah conglomerate like of, of superheroes because i just feel like that motivation she had against superheroes and like with her family and stuff was strong enough and you didn't need this other element mm-hmm and so for me, like, that's what makes Syndrome such a, like, I think Syndrome was one of the best villains. Because, like, he's just so tightly, like, depicted, and his motivations are all, like, they're very, good like, and they're personal. focused. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and Evelyn had those, but we just also had to, like, do this whole screen slaver side bit, which didn't really, like, I get, like, a last girl had to have, like... A villain. 
a villain like sort a of, but like villain. I feel like you could have done that in a lesser way. Yeah. Um, I will say I liked Evelyn more when she was Evelyn and not Screen Slaver. Agreed. She, exactly. She was such an interesting character, and I feel like she could have built up to be one of the most intriguing villains of Incredibles 2. But they kind of went with like, you know, a very tropey sort of villain. Like the, hip, the hypnotizing the superheroes to make them evil is something that's been done, and we've seen it a million times before. And yeah, that's, I think, where the movie kind of stumbles a little bit. Yeah. But I want to say, I, I feel like this is weird to say that because um, I like love this. I like this movie a lot. But one thing that I also felt like Screen Slaver did is that it kind of derailed the movie from the th- other themes that we were trying tr- that we were exploring th- for the first two thirds of the movie. So like we never see the end of Bob, you know, coming to um, terms with his own egotism and what it means to be a hero. We kind of just get interrupted by the hypnosis subplot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we see him sort of coming to grips with it at the end, but we never see like a real resolution. It's just kind of like, oh, everyone's hypnotized. Kids have to save and them. I feel like even though the movie is about superheroes legalizing, mm-hmm. like legalizing superheroes, we only saw her save the monorail, and then mm-hmm. it kind of was like, okay, we're back. Yeah. And I feel like if the movie was more about that battle that in that moral or like that legal battle and not exactly like let's not have court hearings about this or supreme mm-hmm. court or like you know like oh, we're not going to go to congress and show mr incredible and elastigirl in congress yeah but i think it would be more interesting if it was more about the pr battle of mm-hmm. getting superheroes and then yeah have a villain that comes in and disrupts that or have uh evelyn be like like you were saying like have her be a hero but then start doing Bad villainous thing. stuff mm-hmm. as a hero so then the public um the public uh, opinion turn. of superheroes starts to turn and so elastigirl and mr incredible or at least elastigirl have to battle that it's like the classic spider-man 3 conundrum except you know without all the villains but you know like yeah, venom yeah. no no yeah venom taking like, over evil, evil spider-man evil doing Spider-Man. like evil things even yeah. though still yeah. saving people yeah so that yeah, w- like that's just something, being a dick about it. Exactly. That's something that I think if the Incredibles 2 had gone in that direction, it would have been a really great movie. Yeah, I feel like that, like, this, just this little, like, flaw with the villain mm-hmm. just knocks it down from being, like, yeah, as, like, almost perfect. As it's almost like, I think Brad Bird was like, oh, I have all these themes. It's like the, the stock image of a man holding all these lemons or mm-hmm. limes. He's like, what am I going to do with all these lemons? <laughs> I have so many ideas. So I think he Brad like, Bird, of, like his arms full of just like ideas, and he's like exactly, and he's like oh, so many s- ideas. Steven sticks to the wall. I'm really interested if this movie had come out in 2019, if it had been smoothed over a little bit, and maybe we would have seen like this better vision. There's of the a Incredibles lot going too. on in this movie. Yeah, yeah there it is doesn't a lot. all work, but I think a lot of it does. A lot of it does. I really like Incredibles too. I do want to talk a little bit about how cinematic it is. So yes. one scene that really stuck out to me in particular was the the strobe light scene that a lot of theaters are warning against because it, yeah, it I could warning cause in yeah it could cause like epileptic um, you know reactions seizures. yeah seizures but it is a amazingly oh. well like well structured scene oh yeah if you could look at it it's amazing oh my god it's like beautiful that's a fight scene that like is as good as like the best fight scenes we've seen in like modern action films live action modern films I'm modern trying to think films. of one that's that compares to it Mission Impossible. Uh, Rogue Nation, the opera scene. Yes, it's that's a, a scene good one. that has the that. Is so good. It is a scene like on par with that that 
movie. And that was something that I was like, wow. This, like, really, it really blew me away. That's, I think that's why, like, I elevate this movie so much, just because that scene is so good. Mm-hmm. And I like it's it a so lot. <laughs> I feel bad for people who can't look at that scene. I know. It's so good. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like, everything else is also very cinematic. It feels like it's filmed like a real film, whereas the first one did feel like, you know, almost more, like, comic booky, which yeah. is good, too. Well, I think that also goes to show the strength of how... CG animation has really evolved over mm-hmm. time, but also Brad Bird as a director. Because since doing Incredibles, he's done uh, two live action movies as well as another animated movie. So mm-hmm. he took everything he learned from Ratatouille and Mission Impossible and Tomorrowland, and then just kind of took that all the lessons he's learned and brought it to Incredibles two, which made it a very uh, like even though like these characters can do wild, incredible things that we can't as humans, I feel like it's still grounded in mm-hmm. reality. Agreed. That's why I like them as like a like a, a sequel and everything, and like a paired movies, is because like The Incredibles is like introducing them, and like it's comic booky, and like that's what he, he was going for. These like this family with superpowers, and it's really fun. The and Silver he, Age of comics, yeah, the Silver Age, and like it's that's what it is. And then the second movie. I like the idea of starting big and then, like, going small yeah. in the second one instead of the opposite. Yeah. And now we, like, we know the characters, and now we ground them. Because we started off with the underminer scene, and then we were like, oh, now it's back to normal. Yeah, exactly. Which a lot of people, like we were just saying, criticized the movie for doing. Because it's like, we didn't get to see the them fight the entire movie. It's like, yeah, we know, because they're still people. Yeah. They still have to do real things. That's what, that's what this movie is about. It's reminding them that they're superheroes, but they're people first. Right. And that's what I like. Exactly. Yeah. So, even I though this... I want to say one... Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say one other quick character thing. I really love Uncle Frozone. Frozone! Oh, he's so good! He's so good! I just really love that Bob can call him Uncle Frozone and Aunt Edna. I thought they were like, I love that Bob can call up Frozone and be like, the kids are in trouble and like Frozone will be there and it's yeah. like, he loves and he the helps kids them, so like, much. He, he's like, okay, the Incredimobile is here. Okay, I'll tell them how to use it. Yeah. He's just like, I know, on top like, of He it. wasn't like, oh, you guys shouldn't have done that. It's like, oh no, get in the car. Here's how to do the voice activation of it. And Edna, of course, was amazing oh, as she's usual. Brad Bird doing the Edna Jack Jack. Oh my God. When Bob goes back to pick up Jack Jack and he has like the lollipop and he's like mimicking Edna. like Edna. So funny. Oh, I do want to say one fun thing about Jack Jack's storyline is that the raccoon scene was actually something that Brad Bird had thought of for Incredibles One, and he liked it so much that he kept it and for Incredibles Two. Did you guys ever see Jack Jack Attack on the DVD bonus features? For I did not. Yeah. So it's basically um, for HT and people who don't know, it's basically the Incredibles from Jack Jack's point of view. So it's the entire babysitting scene. That's and so like every time you hear so uh, there's a moment in Incredibles one where Helen listened to all her voicemails because apparently you have voicemails back in the day, mm. um, and uh, she listens to them and she hears like uh, the babysitter being increasingly like tired and like 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 frazzled and stuff and in the movie in the in the little short Jack Jack attack it's her, basically the babysitter finding out Jack Jack has powers and trying to deal with that the entire like six minutes that's and, really funny and 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 it ends with Syndrome walking in. Because the the last voicemail right. is it's like um, about like how, how like there's a new babysitter now. Oh, and Syndrome was the new babysitter. Right, right, right. Uh, so yeah, Jack Jack Attack is really great. Check it out on the DVD features. All right. So I think even though this episode wasn't quite as structured as the usual millennial it was movie reviews, off the rails. I do you think that was a, a good way, good discussion of Incredibles two? Uh, do you I think we got else? there. Yeah. I think that the thing is that the characters are so strong and the plot. And the plot and themes are so entwined mm-hmm. that we really can't talk about the one without the other. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. 
All right. I want to say real quick, I got heated at the beginning. <laughs> I'm also just like a dramatic person. That's just me, Jonathan <laughs> from Queer Eye. Um, and I am Brad Bird is a director who means a lot to me. It's very personal. Um, and so I just wanted to say that I love my co-hosts. They always have really great ideas. Aww. And if I'm ever teasing them, that's all I mean it to be. But I know it can come across differently. Oh no, we know. No, we know. We know. Anya, we just we're just playing into the bit. Yeah, we love you too, Anya. You guys. (laughs) That's all. I just wanted to add that. (laughs) All right. Well, why don't we give our ratings for Incredibles two then? Out of five stars, what would you give Incredibles two, Willoughby? Four. Anya, out of five stars. Four. I also give it four stars. So the Millennial Falcon. We're all on par. Oh my god. (laughs) <laughs> Which I know Anya said earlier, but it's a callback. <laughs> it's so good. Foreshadowing. So, uh, Millennium Falcon gives Incredibles 2 4 out of 5 stars. Which I think is a, a reputable yeah. amount. It yeah. is. It's a good score. It's a and good score. before we go to our last segment, I think we have one more sponsor we for do. our episode. The Millennial Falcon is sponsored by trains. On a train, you'll either end up in love or solving a murder. Trains. Uh, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Ruby, why don't you start us off? What is you really like this week? So, if you guys have been following the podcast for the last couple months, I have a Nintendo Switch, and I've been playing video games. And uh, most recently, I started Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Which is a very, very good Legend of Zelda and open world game. Um, I didn't really play like Ocarina of Time like everyone else did uh, who like had an N64. Uh, I didn't actually ever have it. I like rented it from like my local Blockbuster and like would play it periodically, but like I never really got into it. So like I've never really been a Legend of Zelda fan, but I've heard so many good things about this. Uh, game and that like even though it's like the 14th Legend of Zelda game you really don't need to know much about like the the, the like mythology of it because they always kind of do like a, it's like a soft reboot like every it's been like established that like every Link in Zelda is like a reincarnation of like another Link in Zelda so uh, this game is its own like interestingly post-apocalyptic game like like they didn't stop Ganon in the and then then this year it's like it takes place a hundred years after that, so it's like this really interesting, what? like uh, this really interesting, like the Hyrule and all the world, like the entire world is like you know in ruins, and like Ganon is like he's not really like in power, but he's like in this struggle, but within Zelt, but like he can't, he can't, he's contained into Hyrule Castle. He really can't like, but his like his like bad guys and like subordinates are everywhere oh my god but, but it's like it takes place 100 years later you wake up as as the same link from 100 years ago you were in stasis and you have to like find like your master sword and your shield and like clothes and like basically like you know regain your memories and like but but the thing is like the the open world of this game is like four times larger than skyrim what it's huge and Whoa. so like i've been basically like unlocking different parts of the map and like doing like you can go to different shrines and like there's like you go underground there's like this like whole like level of like where you can like learn a new power or like 
train yourself or like get you know get to get used to enemies and like get like uh you can get things that will eventually like give you a power up like if you get four spirit orbs you can go to the temple of time and then raise your heart level or raise your your stamina level and but the game is so great you can get a horse you can name it you can run around you really Wait, like your horse's name is an epona no it's jimothy um oh, and like Epona. Yeah, Epona's I mean like you can you can na- you can get Oh you change the you name. You can get up to five horses. Oh. There were just wild horses everywhere. Oh. And you can get up to five and have oh. them in stables. And then like have have them in stables across the land and then just like if you're nearby one of them, just call it and it'll come to you. Um Can but, you still throw chickens? Yes. You can throw chickens, you can throw anything, you can go in can anybody's you go house. Fishing? Yeah, uh well you could just dive in and grab oh, a fish. Okay. It's not like Animal Crossing. Um <laughs> But this game basically has a very simple plot. Is like you have to stop Ganon, but to do that you have to like uh, basically like go around the world and like unlock things and like get power ups and make sure you're like you know. And but there's the it's very like you go on quests like an open world game, um, but it's like you can kind of just mosey on over and you can fight bad guys and it's really fun. It's beautiful. It's very stunning. They do a really good job of showing, like, how even though something, like, they they have, like, a volcano, like, a Mount Doom situation, like, off in the distance, and it's always, if you're facing it, it's always kind of, like, you can see it, and they do a really good job of, like, showcasing, like, mountain ranges and, like, like, uh, really tall things, like, will always be in, like, your view, and they do, like, distance, so, like, it'll still be large in the background, but you're really far away from it, so the closer you get up, like, the bigger it becomes. They do a really good job of showing the world. Um, it's very beautiful, and basically, like if you Google Breath of the Wild and see like images from it, you'll be like, "Oh wow, this game is amazing!" Um, and be like so big, and it's uh, really fun, and I really like it. Wow, yeah, that's impressive. I kind of want to play it now, even though I don't have a Switch or anything. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like you know, like if you if you like any open world game like Skyrim or Fallout or Final Fantasy, and then if you also like Legend of Zelda as like a, a story characters. It's a perfect matchup. Mm. It's it's basically Nintendo doing their own like Skyrim. HT, you and I just need to like get our new consoles because like she and I are both already in the PS4. Yeah. Now we're gonna get the Switch. Like we just gotta we just gotta throw down the money for the consoles. HT. We need. I need the money first. <laughs> I mean, fair. Same. Get that slash film money. Get that slash film money. All right, Anya, what's your really like this week? Um. So my really like made me cry. Oh no. A lot. Oh no. Which may mean it say doesn't sound like a really like, but it is, I promise. Is it tears of joy? No. Oh shit. Like actual tears of sadness. Oh, oh shit, what happened? Um so this week has been terrible news wise, so I decided to go back in time and live in denial. And so I watched the Netflix original docuseries Bobby Kennedy for President. Aww. Now, from our Ron Howard episode, you will remember that I am a big Kennedy fan, and especially Bobby Kennedy. I have a campaign t-shirt that says, Sock it to him, Bobby, vote Kennedy 68. Um, and I have biographies, and I love him, and this docuseries is really great. It's on Netflix. It's four episodes, and it starts from kind of his political career burgeonings when his brother JFK was president and when he became attorney general to becoming senator to then deciding to run for president before his assassination. Um, And so it's like this full picture of his political life. 
Um, and it's done very well. And it has interviews with people who worked for him and people like John Lewis, oh, who okay. is, yeah, who's a famous activist um, and congressman. He was a campaign aide for Bobby when he was running. Oh. And so it's like, it's very personal for me because I love Bobby Kennedy, but I recommend it for anyone who just doesn't know much about that time period or about the politics of the time. Um, And it makes me cry because, I mean, I'm just sad that he died so young, but um, he's also, he's one of those butter. Yeah. Well, I think his death is even more tragic than JFK is because his death for me is that butterfly effect for our country. Because I really genuinely believe that had he not died, our country would have, the entire course of our country's history would have changed. Do you think he would have been president? Like, between yes. him and so Nixon? I think he would, I think he would have beat Nixon. Nixon never would have become president. We wouldn't have Watergate. Vietnam would have ended very differently. That would also mean you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't get Ford. You mm. likely also wouldn't have ever gotten Carter. Um, who knows about more modern presidents, if they still would have rose through the ranks and everything, but like... It would have been such a different course for our country, and yeah, because Watergate really changed everybody's view on the presidency. It did, yeah. Yeah, Watergate changed everything, and so like I decided to go live in denial of a time when we had a leader like Bobby Kennedy who was like good and idealistic and believed in things, um, and then make myself really sad when <laughs> he was assassinated and everything went to hell um but this sounds like a very bad endorsement um it's a really good documentary series i mean history is history Um, but yeah and it's really well made and i just really even though it made me cry i really liked it um it's interesting and this is something that's like on netflix instead of like history channel yeah yeah Netflix is really getting to docuseries yeah and it's really good there's so much like like genuine like live footage of like his campaign and everything and it's really good the night that he was assassinated almost all of it is caught on camera oh wow almost all of it there's a there's a phone call to the police from the hotel and the woman is saying like there's an emergency like mr kennedy is here and the police is like oh big deal on the phone like this recorded conversation and they're like oh someone's been shot and the police officer is like great (gasps) oh my god yeah, it's like all on camera. It's crazy. And it just, you know, it, it's it's a hard time right now. And it, it makes me realize, you know, like, that there are people out there who are, like, fighting um, back then and now. And to just keep up that fight. Do you know how many episodes um, this series is? Four. Just four mm-hmm. one-hour oh, episodes. Wow. So it's really easy to, like, get through. Cool. I'll have to check it out. I'm really fascinated yeah, by this yeah. politics of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah I love sixties politics. And I will tell you, there's a moment where John Lewis like starts like crying, and it's Aww. like rough to watch, but it's really good. Sorry to make you guys sad. Well, HT, what's your really like? Speaking of the fight, um, I no, Anya, that's great. I yeah, I really can't yeah. I can't wait to check that out. No, I'm not sad. Okay, don't don't worry. I'm inspired. Okay. Uh, yes, exactly. Of the fight and being inspired. I went to the Families Belong Together march this weekend. Uh, so it was a march that took place in D.C., but there are pl- tons that were scattered across the U.S. And it was in uh, protest of the uh, U.S. government's policy of deta- detaining children and um, of, who are of migrant families who are seeking asylum in the U.S. from war-torn countries in South America and Central America. And um, 
basically like keeping the children like in prison not re- not in prison, detaining them like, detaining them, them. And yes being able to see them and, and separating them and like making ever, it even ever, harder for them to irrevocably uh, changing 2000 children's lives yeah so um i went to that march yesterday which i think went on in like the 30,000 range of uh protesters there which is amazing don't quote me on that because that's just like the number i heard it was definitely in the thousands i saw pictures of lafayette square in front mm-hmm. of the white house and there were just tons it of people it was packed and um when we started marching from lafayette square to doj in the capitol i like we my friend and I like got out of the like, line for a little bit, and we just like watched people walk by, and it stretched by, stretched for blocks. It was just a, a mil- like thousands of people. I think there are three marches so far that you can talk about being like the biggest ones: mm-hmm. the women's march, the march for our lives, and now the march to keep families together. Yeah, march for women's march was definitely the biggest I've ever attended. I that was like packed, like the all the streets were like all closed off. But um, March to Bring Families Together was really inspiring and, like, very sad to listen to because a lot of the speakers they brought on who were celebrities like Lin-Manuel Miranda, America Ferreira, um, Alicia Keys, uh, they brought those people on to, like, you know, read stories of these families who were separated and, like, first-hand accounts and everything. And it was just, like, it's very depressing and very just, like, downtrodden, but I... I, it was really inspiring to see all those people who were there for the same reason. There were a lot of kids there too, because like a lot of their fa- the families wanted to like emphasize that you know their family is just like us and everything like that. And uh, it was incredibly hot, so it was uh, probably a bad time to bring kids out. But it still was amazing, like how many people came out just even in that like ninety plus degree heat and like. In, just like suffocating humidity but uh it was amazing Lin-Manuel Miranda saying dear Theodosia from Hamilton and that was just like amazing to to watch because people kept uh, started singing alongside him and getting like really emotional so it was a it was a good march and I'm happy I went and there were some young there were some people singing profanities at the DOJ which is really interesting and at Trump Hotel one of which was like an eight-year-old girl and I was like that's hilarious so but yeah it was yeah <laughs> So yeah, I hope that some change is enacted in, in some way, and I hope that this protest will, you know, be some sort of galvanizing force. I think it's inspiring to know, like, talking about Arthur really likes that, like, people have been fighting for decades, and, like, we will continue to fight. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to give up. And just, just because something is legal doesn't make it right. Exactly. Which goes back to our superhero. Incredibles, people. too. All right. We're going to fight just like the Parr family. <laughs> so that is our episode. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts on The Incredibles 2, Breath of the Wild, Bobby Kennedy for president, or protesting and fighting the good fight, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is Millennial Falcon WordPress, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye! Bye.